As always, it's so good to be with you. Really glad to have the choir here today singing. We also want to remember Larry Felding. He's one of the members. Uh, he fell and he's in the hospital today recovering. So uh, we want to remember him and Joan during this time. Here's something you might find interesting given the times that we live in, the unsettling times. It's on a Peanuts t-shirt of all places, and it's something that I bought this week. And it says this, in a world where you can be anything, be kind, be kind. It's so simple, isn't it? See, when we get into the, the more challenging life becomes, the simpler life becomes, and we we are reminded we're called to do things, simple things like kindness, love, compassion, mercy, all of those good things which are the defining qualities of who a Christian is. So uh, it's wonderful to be able to do that. Well, Mark's gospel is leading us, basically. It's walking us, you might call it, through the preparation that Jesus was making for his final trip to Jerusalem. Yes, the cross was awaiting on him in Jerusalem in great suffering and persecution. And he knew that for his disciples that this was going to be one of the greatest challenges that they would ever face. See, they were going, they were going to Jerusalem with the idea that the people were going to force Jesus to become king. He was going to overthrow Roman rule and establish his kingdom forever. Uh, Jesus had other plans. God had other ideas for Jesus than that. Things that were, gosh, I mean, on a tremendously larger scale, that's to be sure. But they needed, they needed some, some encouragement, you might call it, some growing and maturing in their faith. The, the things that they were about to face, I call them the graduate level of spirituality or uh, going through the, the harder part of the school of hard knocks. You ever been to the school of hard knocks? Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? But, uh, but that's okay because we need to understand God's will in suffering. How does God's will work in suffering? Because as we un come to understand it more fully and more clearly and not just sort of write it off uh, because it doesn't feel good what it does is it liberates us it liberates us truly and it gives us a sense of freedom of peace of love that is beyond comprehension and that's really good so I really like what uh, Saint Padre Pio he's one of my favorite saints how that he expressed Jesus's love for us by allowing us to suffer here he, here's what he says. How could I better prove my love for you, Jesus says, than by desiring for you what I desire for myself? Wow, that's something to think about, isn't it? You could spend a couple thousand years thinking about that, but it's, but it's so true. It is so true. I mean, if Jesus did it, if he did the will of the Father and it caused him suffering, why should we think that we would be anything less than that? So, um, very true. So, in typical Jesus fashion, he enters into the house. He calls the disciples together. He says, sit down. And then he assumes the rabbinic posture, which is to sit down in their midst. And he begins to teach them. And he does, his teaching methodology has three pieces to it. 
First of all, the loaded question. He asks a loaded question. The second thing is the response of the disciples, which is typically or usually a beginner in the beginner in faith type of response. And then the third thing is to share with them new vistas, to take them to higher ground, to newer heights of profound truth into who God is and how life is to be lived. So what's the loaded question, or the sort of the setup question, you might call it today. A lot of spin doctors like to do that, don't they? Uh, he, he asked them this question. See, they were headed, they were headed and they were journeying, and he says, what were you arguing about along the way? Ooh, they were arguing about something. Uh, they didn't know Jesus was listening. They didn't know that. Um, he's always listening. Let me tell you, there's nowhere you can go, there's nowhere you can hide, no place too dark where Jesus isn't there listening and watching over you and caring for you. But they had gotten into a heated debate about the situation. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Well, I mean, you know, these were the 12 apostles. We know that all of them, even Judas, had uh, cast out demons and had healed people when Jesus sent them out. We see James, Peter, and John, sort of the dynamic trio, you might call it. Jesus would call that would separate them at times, like at the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd say, okay, guys, let's go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and show them something. Or like the raising of Jairus' daughter. He says, all right, I want you three to come with me. I want you to see this. And then there's Peter. You know, Peter walked on water. You ever walked on water? Well, that's hard to do, isn't it? But uh, Peter did. And um, he also, Jesus taught him how to fish when, there, when the, the uh, collectors were collecting the temple tax. He said, now, Peter, what I want you to do is I want you to throw out the hook. It doesn't say if there's anything on the hook. Uh, he says, but uh, throw out the hook, and I'm, you're going to catch a fish. And when you do, open its mouth, and what will be in it? Coins. Coins to pay the tax collector. So that's interesting. So they all had, they had, they all had their shining pieces of glory, you might call it. See, they all wanted a pace of prominence. That's what they were looking for. They realized that when Jesus went to Jerusalem, they thought he's going to be king. So one wants to sit here, one wants to sit here. What? The places of prominence. And even the mothers of some of the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, can my son sit here and my other son sit here? You know, prominence. But Jesus said, you don't have a clue what you're asking me. You better be quiet. Uh, you better be careful about what you're asking me because, you know, there's the left and the right, the crosses, and he was in the middle of those. What are you arguing about? And then the disciples respond with a beginner-like faith, and probably the most simple of faith, I would call it the simple, simplistic answer, and the answer is quiet. Well, they're embarrassed. They knew better. Jesus had taught them. They'd been on the mount. Uh, they'd heard the beat. They knew better. They didn't think he was listening. And uh, so they were embarrassed. They knew that what they were doing was wrong. And we would do well to listen to the words again of James that we heard in the second reading today. He says this, people of God, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There is disorder in every foul practice. Think about that. You ever feel jealous? Are you ever jealous of what somebody else has? Uh, you ever feel that sense of selfish ambition in your life? Remember what James had to say about that. He says it just creates chaos in your life. It's got a foul odor to it, a, a smelly odor to it. It's disorder, disorder on every kind of way. And they knew, so they knew that they were wrong, and so they were just totally quiet. It's sort of like when the, the wife asked me, did I do this, or did I do that? Oh, well, what am I going to say, because I've not done it yet. Do I say yes and get away, or do I say no and endure the wrath? Which one do you do? You know? But uh, it was that kind of thing. I'm caught. I'm caught. They're going to snag me. Third thing is that Jesus shares new vistas of profound truth that's going to help them mature as disciples. Truth is so important. That's why we have this ambo right here. That's why we expose, we expound the word of God right here. Because truth is important. And the word of God is truth. And I like how James affirms this. He goes on after he talks about don't be jealous. Don't have selfish ambition in life. He says, seek the wisdom from above. You know, the heavenly wisdom. The wisdom where the kingdom of God is. I, I like to call it the higher ground. Seek the higher ground. What does he say? Listen to this. This is beautiful. Isn't this what you want in your life? The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's peaceable, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits. Does anybody not want that in their lives? Well, you'd have to be crazy not to want that, wouldn't you? I mean, you want to have peace in life? There it is. Well, seek it. Seek it. Seek the higher truth about life. Well, you could have heard a pin drop. They were so quiet. And so Jesus says, so you want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, he's not saying just the kingdom on earth. The, the Matthew records this story as well. Matthew also puts that, he inserts that part in. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, let's, let's ramp it up just a little bit. Let's ask this question. Who do you think is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven that's here right now? Who do you think that is? Well, that's got to be the pastor, right? He's the priest. No. Uh, you all put me to shame. I have to admit, there's sometimes your, your sense of servant attitude, your humility makes me just want to crawl off in a corner and cry because I don't have that sense of humility. No, it's not the pastor. But uh, it's probably, if we were to ask Jesus, it'd be somebody that would totally surprise you. You know, somebody that's very quiet, somebody that's very humble, that somebody that's uh, going through suffering, uh, so, uh, but enduring it with patience. But who is the greatest? Well, then he tells you what makes up the greatest. You gonna be the greatest? Well, I would hope so. I'd wanna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm gonna spend eternity, not here. Uh, of course, Jesus, teach me, show me. So he says, go in the other room and get one of the kids and bring him in here and let him 
stand here in our midst. And that's what they do. And he says, whoever humbles themselves like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, that's cool, isn't it? Uh, over and over in the, in the gospel readings, Jesus talks about becoming like little children. You've heard that, haven't you? you got to become like a little child. What does he mean? What does he mean by that? How in the world is that to be equated with greatness in heaven? Well, humility. It's a humble type of attitude. It's a trusting kind of approach to life. That's exactly what he's talking about. Um, see, all a child needs, a little child, now they all, it doesn't take too long today uh, with everything that's available for kids to get and stuff that they start saying, I want that, or I'm going to throw a tantrum upon, on you kind of thing. Those kinds of things happen at an earlier age today. But if you take an infant, I think we have to go, maybe go even that far back. Have you ever noticed something about an infant when mom's holding the baby? You ever held your baby? Dad, you ever held your baby? And you just sort of walk with them. Baby doesn't care where you're going, does he? Does she? Baby doesn't care. All baby cares about is baby's right here. He's by mom. She's by dad. You know, that kind of thing. So wherever they want to take me, that's fine. Uh, that's humility. It's not where I go kicking and screaming. Or, no, I'm not going there. No, you're not taking me there. No, I'm going to scream and I'm going to kick. No, true humility is this. Saints will teach you that. That's one of the great lessons the saints have taught me. Not that I understand it or live it perfectly, that's for sure, because it's hard to do when, when God leads you somewhere that you don't want to go. Uh, but it's resting in him. It's resting in him like a child. That's humility. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to love and to trust him just like a little child because in heaven, that's all there will be. And then he says you have to turn. you got to become like this little child. Uh, you know, this implies that at this point, none of them were really that great headed for the kingdom of heaven. Their, their report card wasn't that good. Of a, of a grave, let's put it that way, uh, because they, they wanted to be the greatest. They, they were looking for worldly, worldly acclaim. Jesus says, if you want to be great, do a 180. Well, that means to turn around and go in the other direction. Head towards God. Head towards God. Be like the little child. Put your faith and trust in him. The third thing he says is aspire to the greatness of servanthood. Now, one of the things about language is they have what they call play on words. When you translate it, you lose a lot of that play on words. But it's a very interesting thought and an idea. And here's a play on words that's in both the Greek and the Aramaic. Servant and child are the same word. Servant and child are the same word. They're mixed interchangeably. Well, that makes sense when you think about serving, service, when you think about hu humility and those kinds of things. See, 
God sees humility as one of the defining qualities of a young child and of one of his disciples. And who's, the, you know, even if you don't ever read the words of Jesus and you just, watch, you just imitate his life, you're going to be humble, aren't you? Jesus was humble, wasn't he? Can you think of when Jesus wasn't humble? He was a humble servant, yet he was God in the flesh. Uh, there's your example. You want to live? There's how you live. He's always encouraging us to be a great servant. And then the final thing is that the humility of servant discipleship, it allows us to endure suffering as the will of God. Um, this is so important. Here we are trusting God. We are humbling ourselves before him and we are trusting him as we walk through the sufferings of this life. Wherever God wants to lead us, because he's going to be with us, he's going to strengthen us, he's going to love us, he's going to encourage us. Uh, that, that is the message of the scriptures and the message of the saints that you hear over and over and over again. But it's just that sense of submission, that sense of humility to doing the will of the Father. What did Jesus say? Not your will, but my will. What did he say when he drew his last breath? Into your hands I commend my spirit. Didn't he say that? Well, that's, that's called humility. That's called the servant attitude. I like what Paul said. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's something to think about, isn't it? And we're called to model that. So a couple thoughts for reflection. My dear brothers and sisters, do you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then today, strive to be your very absolute best in aspiring to the greatness of being a servant disciple. And remember this, Jesus is always, always, calling you to higher ground, always, because he loves you. He's always calling you to higher ground. What's one thing that you can do this week in order to make that happen? God bless all of you.